Today, I'm pleased to present Charles Prideau and Johanna Kirkland. Please begin your meeting. Thank you very much indeed, Operator, and hello, everyone. Uh, it's been brought to my attention that we've been now doing these calls for almost a year, uh, or indeed over a year, so we can celebrate uh, a happy birthday. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Um, certainly, I think they're proving uh, useful and popular, So, um, but we appreciate your interest and support. Um, just before uh, we get going, one quick plug, um, which we tend to do now on these calls. Uh, this is for uh, new foresight thought leadership that we published this week um, on Sustainex. Uh, and in particular, I wanted to highlight that um, in response to the request, um, we've created uh, short and easy to use, uh, easy to watch videos uh, which demonstrate the key messages uh, behind the Sustainex tool, um, what underpins uh, from a research standpoint, and then in practice how to use the thought leadership uh, in a client-facing context. All of those materials are accessible uh, via Spark, uh, so please take advantage of that. Um, in terms of uh, this week, uh, in terms of review, uh, actually quite a quiet week when it comes to economic data. It's as if uh, the quote-unquote Easter break is uh, causing uh, markets to be slightly calmer after the very uh, strong returns, obviously, from an equity standpoint that we've seen uh, so far this year. Um, in terms of data, we had a relatively benign uh, U.S. inflation data, so uh, unlikely to upset uh, anything, any Fed thinking at this point. Um, and uh, in that sense, interest rates regarded as pretty much near the neutral level currently. Uh, in the Eurozone, um, we actually had marginally better than expected industrial production data, uh, and the ECB affirming that uh, policy remains on hold uh, into next year, so providing market participants with that level of certainty. Um, in the UK, um, the EU and the UK agreed to extend the Brexit deadline to the 31st of October, um, and so we haven't left without a no deal uh, last week. Um, and uh, that uh, dialogue obviously will continue. Um, assuming the deadlock continues, the UK, as it stands, will still have to take part in EU parliamentary elections on the 23rd of May and return representatives for July. Um, meantime, the Prime Minister, uh, as we understand it, still hopes uh, that this can be avoided with the ratification of her previously agreed withdrawal agreement prior to the 22nd of May, which would then lead to an earlier Brexit. But I think the level of confidence in that happening uh, is very low. Um, and similarly, um, the likelihood of talks between May and the Labour Party uh, we regard as being quite low. Um, so um, from a market standpoint, uncertainty persists, um, and uh, we're likely to see the Bank of England keep interest rates on hold uh, for some time to come, uh, echoing uh, the ECB cousin. Um, elsewhere, I think probably most significant of all, actually, from a data standpoint, um, was what we saw come out of China, um, which was a better-than-expected uh, export performance uh, in March. And crucially, the credit data also seems to have bottomed, uh, beating market expectations um, in relation to, uh, well, in response, rather, to the recent monetary and fiscal stimulus. Uh, we talked about that on previous calls and expect the transmission mechanism from that uh, to a more benign uh, outlook for Europe uh, to happen, uh, which, where, of course, the market has been very, as we talked about with Simon Weber last week, uh, the market at this point has been very negative about Europe, and that is where perhaps there's scope for some upside surprise. So with that as um, uh, introduction, um, maybe just to sort of uh, finally, before Johanna 
uh, we, we, we start our conversation. Uh, markets have been quite dramatic. And I was just looking at the sort of dynamics here. So very quickly, the S&P 500 um, in the fourth quarter was down 14%. Uh, almost magically, in the first quarter, it was up 13%. Um, and actually, on an April uh, month-to-date basis, up a further 2%. Um, meantime, uh, we've got a U.S. 10-year Treasury now back at 2.55%, uh, and the two-year 2.4%, so still a positive uh, yield curve, although um, inverted at the very short end. Um, so with that, really, conscious of your um, GAC meetings last week, um, where you and the multi-asset team uh, discuss strategy from here. Um, it would be great um, to get the benefit of your insight in terms of the nature of those conversations to begin with in terms of aggregate risk attitudes and, and given those returns, how you and the team are feeling. Well, we're still quite fully invested. Um, I think when I spoke to you, maybe it was in January that I did the call last, you know, we were very much emphasizing carry strategies across high yield debt, emerging market currencies, and we continue to do that. And we also have um, equity exposure. And essentially, our view is that against the backdrop of dovish central banks, um, we continue to believe that the path of least resistance is for markets to grind higher, um, particularly given the under nature of this rally that we've seen in markets. I think a lot of us will have seen that in the flows here at Schroeder. We've certainly seen that from the point of view of um, the European uh, gross industry flows, yes. uh, which have been very low. Yes. So I think markets can grind higher. Um, however, um, we're still cautious about the cyclical environment. Um, you're right to point out that data out of China was slightly better, but we've yet to see a proper improvement in growth outside of the U.S. And as we all know, in the U.S. we'll have the impact of the fiscal stimulus fading later this year. So we really need the rest of the world to really start to pick up. And so with those cyclical risks still out there, we also believe that bonds will have a role in our portfolio. I mean, we added it back to duration when U.S. yields were above 3%. In some sense, I'm surprised that we're down at 25 and we still own rates. But quite quickly, yeah. Unfortunately, the problem is the cyclical data is, is still a little bit soggy. Um, so, so, you know, we still have some hedges in the portfolio. We also own some dollars uh, because the positive dollars offer a positive carry hedge. And again, if our risk positions and equities and carry don't work out, we do need some hedges right now. So I don't think we're fully risk on, and it's basically because the cyclical environment is still a little bit uncertain. So, so that's a great overview. Let's hone in a little bit more on, on equities, um, because you will have seen, presumably, given the strong performance, your, your relative uh, weighting within a portfolio drift up mm. in terms of, of weight. And uh, at this stage, you're running that position. Yeah, we're not, we're not cutting it. And... Um, and how how is the team feeling about the prospect of a pretty lackluster U.S. earnings season? Well, that is a concern because, again, the U.S. has been the market leader in this bull market. So, you know, we really need the U.S. to hold up. So, yeah, we're a bit concerned about the profit outlook. Um, more, you know, as we approach the end of this year. So, you know, to the extent we're still exposed to risk assets, it is quite deeply tactical right now right. Um, because I could see, you know, quite a few clouds gathering later this year. So yes, it's, it's a concern we have on a sort of six to 12 month view is the outlook for profits in the US. Right. Because unfortunately, I think sometimes people say oh, the US is expensive, but the rest of the world can catch up. Well, I think we need the US to hold up for this bull market to continue. Uh, definitely, because it's been leading. Yeah. I, I, would, I would concur with that. 
so in that vein, in terms of the nature of those clouds, um, what, what if you like, and you've talked in the past about particular thresholds, I remember um, last year talking about the rule of three, and yeah. the interest rate, that obviously now seems quite a long way away. Yeah. Um, what, um, what would perhaps cause you um, to take a stronger stance um, towards equities on the negative yeah, well, side? So actually, I mean, yeah, it's interesting you refer to the rule of three. So last year I was saying as long as GDP growth is around 3% and yields are around 3%, we're good. And of course, back then, people were concerned about inflation and our view is that inflation wouldn't pick up. People were talking about the US rates going as high as four or yeah. ten years. Now, if we go back to that rule of three, I mean, GDP growth now is, is looking like it'll be below three. Right. And of course, US yields are actually down at two and a half. So in some sense, if we're thinking about what the risk is, I think the risk is that we're too cold rather than too hot. Um, and so, so you know, if we were to see, so that's what I'm most worried about, right, is that growth doesn't come through. Getting, cold, rest, getting colder. Getting colder, because, yes. you know, sometimes even Keith has talked about sort of wobbly bicycle. The risk is, <laughs> if you have a lack of, you know, lack of momentum, right. when, with growth sort of sinking below 3%, any gust of wind can topple you over. So that's my biggest concern, is that things get too cold. You're conjuring up whole images of concern. For I'm, I'm mix, yes, yeah, I'm mixing up all my all He's my also, he's analogies. going to Norfolk on holiday for Easter, so yeah. it's not too gusty. So, you know, that's that's something we need to be aware of. What could get us a lot more bullish, I think, would be if we really start to see a pickup, particularly we're watching China. I think if we're looking for areas of positive surprise, in our view, it's, it's China, where, you know, the... You know, there is evidence of stimulated activity a little bit. And if we saw evidence, you alluded to the data, if we saw a bit more evidence of that, um, that would be a reason to get actually quite bullish. So so we do have exposure to emerging assets. For us, emerging assets offer us that optionality to the upside because obviously they're looking cheap relative to the rest of the world. They were harshly punished last year because growth didn't come through. And because, because of trade concerns. Rates, yeah. So to some extent, if we, if we saw um, sort of alleviation of those concerns, and a pickup in China, so that we no longer have a unipolar world with just the US growing, but actually we get another engine going, right. then actually that's quite bullish. And that's what we're watching as a sign to get a lot more positive. And what about your attitude towards um, Europe in that context? I mean, Europe for us is, you know, the US, we always say, is reassuringly expensive. You know, it, it, the, the PE looks expensive relative to other markets, but they've had the best earnings trend. And emerging markets for us are the best value opportunity. And Europe kind of falls in the middle. Having said that, it's heavily under-owned. So, you know, we need to keep an eye on it. And essentially, it will, will benefit. If emerging, for me, Europe is a, I mean, I don't want to simplify things too much, but essentially, it's a sort of high beta play on global growth. So, if you see emerging markets picking up, well, that will unlock the potential of Europe. Chinese demand. Exactly. Because yeah. that's obviously, I mean, we yeah. talked a lot on these calls about Germany being absolutely at the sharp yeah. end of, of lackluster Chinese demand and flirting with recession yeah. recently. So, you know, we're exploring ways of positioning maybe for, um, you know, through calls um, in the DAX, for example. So right. those are kind of ideas we're looking at. That's where the optionality is. But as I said, for now, um, we're, we're sticking mainly to emerging markets and generally avoiding Europe still. And um, so to characterize the, the, the equity position, it's kind of fine for now. U.S. doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, um, but, emerging you know, markets with the optionality. And yeah. watching as to whether or not you get colder. Um, which would cause um, uh, perhaps more, more uh, aversion to equities. But equally, uh, China could flip that and make you more positive, particularly on uh, emerging more broadly, but also Europe. Yeah. Um, 
So moving on to um, the, the fixed income side of the equation, um, you referenced in your introductory comments the importance of carry. Yeah. Um, uh, where are you finding that most successfully at the moment? Well, it's getting a bit harder. Uh, when we first introduced the strategy, we started off with emerging market currencies in, in November, December, and we added back to high yield in January. Um, and we also added back to European investment grade. Uh, and obviously, we have seen spreads tighten a little bit. But again, in the meantime, central banks have got more dovish than we were expecting. So that's enabled us to, to stay in you know, the carry strategies for now. And it's a way effectively positioning for a pro-risk environment without taking too much cyclical risk. So, you know, we're getting, we're, we're approaching our, our profit-taking uh, level for U.S. high yield in particular. We're quite close there. Um, so, we, you know, we can't afford to get too relaxed. And I'm conscious that actually, while the equity rally's been underwhelmed, a lot of money's piled into fixed income in the first quarter. So, it's so we're there. We're still invested, but, you know, aware uh, that obviously we, some of the values have evaporated in some of the positions we've taken on the yeah. It's interesting you, 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 you highlight that because um, I've just come from a distribution meeting where we were uh, highlighting that uh, around the world uh, the most persistent level of um, demand that we're seeing from our client base um, is uh, specialist fixed income. Yeah. Um, and so whether it's in the sphere of emerging market debt or whether it's in securitized credit, um, uh, there is that uh, hunt for yield and there's that sort of level of circumspection about other asset classes, which I think is causing that, that drive. And so you're saying that you know, your portfolios also reflect that. Yeah. Um, and from a currency standpoint, um, in the past you've had um, uh, a, a yen position on again as a sort of tail risk hedge of some sort. Yeah, we got out of the yen at the beginning of the year. Because um, if you remember, it, it strengthened quite dramatically at the turn of the year, so so we took profits. Um, so uh, you know we prefer duration to yen. The yen is a proxy for duration, and we prefer still earning some bonds. We've taken, you know, we took we've trimmed our bond positions, um, but but we still prefer bonds to to, to yen right now. Um, we do have exposure to the dollar, as I said, as a risk-reducing position versus the euro, it's positive carry. If the rest of the world continues to be weak, if you continue to have this growth divergence, the dollar will work well as a hedge. Um, and then we like emerging market currencies. Which ones in particular? Actually, it's pretty diversified. Um, you know, it's coming through a number of our sort of more quantitative strategies. Uh, we're picking up quite a bit of emerging market exposure. Um, and maybe just to hone in on that and, and talking, talking about... Um, uh, emerging markets broadly across both debt, equity, and indeed currency. Um, we often, I think, in the West sit and talk about the word emerging, and of course, um, uh, some countries have a very uh, explicit uh, linkage to dollar rates, and we, you know, we saw the weakness um, last year in that regard. Um, separately, we've been making the case um, for the structural growth potential that EM represents through time, long term, in you know, sort of um, five to ten years. What evidence do you see in the asset class for being able to, if you like, disaggregate and have confidence about emerging markets more in isolation, or do you still see them very inextricably linked um, to the rest of the world? Um, I think that... Um No, I I think it's an asset class where increasingly we differentiate 
uh, within within the, within the regions, um, market by market. I think ultimately, though, uh, most equity markets, if you look at their composition, are still very much geared into the global cycle. So, you know, I tend to think they're still on the same planet. Right. Um, so I do see these things as always all being interlinked. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, we are we are differentiating more within emerging markets than we might have done 10, 15 years ago. To be honest, the limit was more about liquidity, I think, 20 years ago than it is now. Yes, and now I mean, as they, the, the, the markets themselves are developing, they're becoming more and more uh, robust. And I suppose the, the, the poster child at the moment, um, given the, the way in which um, China is being thought about in terms of yeah. index inclusion, um, is we're seeing more and more interest in uh, clients making separate allocations to China. Yes. Which we have done as well. So if we look at the diversified growth fund, we've made allocations last year to, to China. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that's the one, you know, that's one market that clearly is, is sort of on a sort of more structural path. Disaggregating. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's delivered spectacular returns this year after a more traumatic yeah. year. I think it's up. I think I saw it's up about 28% year, year to date. Good. Well, we're um, running out of time, I'm afraid. So uh, let me just quickly summarize what we've covered. Um, first of all, I think, Johanna, tell me if I'm wrong, but I characterize um, your mood as, as a bit nervous, um, but given the sort of eerie calm that we have, but uh, still uh, the team is uh, happy uh, to, your phrase, um, own markets as they grind higher. Uh, I alluded to the fact that in April we've had further 2% from the S&P 500 um, because of that path of least resistance. Um, but you are uh, watching very carefully uh, to see whether or not the economic outlook darkens, um, which would uh, cause, if you like, um, a further flight to quality safety in the Treasury market, uh, driving yields lower in the way that we, we saw earlier in the year. Um, but for the time being, uh, owning the position, and on the flip side, were the data to come out of China to be more optimistic, uh, then that would cause potentially um, even adjusted upwards to, to positions, um, particularly uh, into European assets that have, have tended to lag. Uh, holding true to uh, the belief in the value of carry at this juncture, uh, and you alluded to, yes, you've had a good run in U.S. high yield and maybe nearing the exit, um, but um, uh, you referenced also US, uh, European uh, investment, uh, investment grades uh, as another uh, exposure that you have. Um, and then from a currency standpoint, sorry, in emerging markets, likewise, from a debt standpoint, uh, also and from, a, from a carry perspective. Uh, and finally, uh, retaining the bias towards the dollar um, because of the relative uh, economic strength. Uh, and uh, by implication, it would take uh, a very strong pickup or prospective pickup in Europe um, to maybe be shifting that position. But that's not something that the team is doing right now. So with that, thank you very much indeed. Hugely appreciate your time. Um, and operator, that concludes today's call. Thanks, everyone, for listening.